from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We'll spend this week and next week uh, looking at this passage. I think all of you are probably familiar with the phrase that uh, familiarity breeds contempt, right? That the more you know about something or the longer you know about something, the more you just kind of assume that you know all about it, right? You just, uh, you, you work in a field for so long and you just, uh, you, you feel like you, you know everything about it, that, that there's not going to be anything new to come along and then something new comes along and you're, you're kind of taken aback and like, I, I don't know quite what to, to do with that. Or, you, you know, I was thinking about as, you know, my former life, I was an electrician and I, I was pretty good. And now people come up to me and go, hey, Gary, can you do this? I'm like, mm, no, I don't remember anymore. I was really familiar with it at one time and assumed I could do everything. But now, as, as years have passed, I cannot. And sometimes when we come to God's word, we have that contempt. And I, and I don't mean that to be rude. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to, to make it sound like you're, you're looking at God's word in contempt and like scoffing at it. It's just that we come to it and we've read it so many times that we just assume we know all about it. And I think that's true of the new covenant, right? We, we, we talk about the new covenant. We talk about us being new covenant uh, Christians, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we read the passage, you know, this is my blood in the new covenant, and we just think new covenant, new covenant, new covenant. Okay, that's, that's, that's who we are. We're, we're so familiar with it that maybe we don't quite understand the richness and the grace that is contained within it. Right? Because for us, it's all we've ever known. Right? I mean, I mean since the, the, the turn from B.C. To, to, to A.D., it's all that Christians have known is the new covenant. And so we're just kind of familiar with it. Well, this morning and next morning, what, next Sunday, excuse me, what I want to do is I want to dive into it because it's, it's so much richer and deeper than I think we express when we go, oh, we're New Covenant Christians. Because there's a lot of promises contained in the New Covenant that should bring excitement to us, it should encourage us, and at the same time, it should make us step back and go, wow, God is really amazing. And God, in, in His amazing grace and mercy, gives us the New Covenant. So that instead of walking around with that familiarity breeding contempt, that we walk around with familiarity breeding awe and wonder at our God. So this is what Jeremiah writes in verse 31. And we're going to read down to verse 40 this morning. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. It is fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord. Then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and if the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measure line shall go out farther, straight to the hill of Gareb, and shall there turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. So this morning, we're going to examine just, just four promises of the new covenant, and then next week, we're going to pick up on some more promises. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is that the new covenant promises a future. It promises a future. It's the first thing that Jeremiah records. Behold, the days are coming. Now, we've got to jump back into the context which Jeremiah was writing. Because he writes that to bring comfort to the house of Israel and to the house of Israel of Judah. Because at this point, Jeremiah has demonstrated over and over and over that they have broken the Mosaic covenant. So bad that we saw last week in Jeremiah 3, where God says, look, I took you as my wife. You went out and you played the harlot with all these other gods. Here now is a certificate of divorce. I am divorcing you because of what you have done. Now, when he says that, and he is divorcing them from the Mosaic Covenant, everything that they have known has been filtered through the covenant. Every aspect of their life. It, it, it impacted their civil laws. It impacted ceremonial. It was, we, we kind of, you know, for us, I don't think we quite understand it, Right? We understand that when we go out this door, that there are certain laws that the world expects us to, to abide by, right? One of the new laws that, that we're figuring out is how to navigate all these roundabouts that they've decided to put up here, right? We come to a round, who's got the right of way? Do I have to stop for the car in there or do I just keep going? And, and you know which one is right the day that you're in the roundabout and the other car doesn't yield, you know. You know, but we understand that. We understand that, that we can't go out and we can't steal. We, we understand that, but even though that there is law out there and we abide by it, we don't live our entire lives underneath that law. For the, for the Jew, there, there, there was no distinction. I know that we talk about the civil and the ceremonial and the, the moral aspects of the law, and yes, that is there, but they didn't live their lives in a compartmentalized manner. Their whole life was lived under the law. Everything 
Everything flowed from the law, flowed from the covenant. And in that covenant, God says, I am obligating myself to act in a certain way if you act in this way. It was a conditional covenant. They had, to, they had conditions placed on them that they had to, had to fulfill. And so all of a sudden, God is saying, I've, I've, I'm divorcing you. What does that mean? What future and what hope do they have if God is saying, everything that I gave you in the Mosaic Covenant, you broke, you're not obeying, you're not listening, you're not following it, so I'm divorcing you from that, and you're standing here going, wait a minute. Everything that I knew flowed from that covenant that you made with us. Hey, God, I remember, and they could go back in history and go, I remember when, I broke the co- when we broke the covenant as a people, and, and you came back in and reinstated it, and we celebrated, and it was good, and everything was fine, and, and we did really good for a while. And then we broke it again, and, and we were really sorry you sent the Philistines to come and, and, and take us captive, and, and we broke it, and, and we were wrong, and we cried out to you, and you came, and you rescued us, and, and you reestablished it. And we were really good for a while. And then you did it, we did it again, and you did it again. And so here we are, God. We've broken it again. We're really sorry. Aren't you coming to reestablish it? No, I'm divorcing you. What, what future is in that? Where is their future now? This is how God, when you go back and you do the history and you look at years, this is probably about 900 years after they've come into the land. This is how God has dealt with his people for 900 years. Put that in context, America is 245 years old. So for almost a millennium, this is how God has dealt with his people. And now there's, God is saying, no more. No more. If you are a Jew at this time and you hear that, from every conceivable perspective, God is telling his people, you're done. You're going to be relegated to the ash bin of history. Right? Go back through history and look at history. How many civilizations and people groups have have risen up only to not be there anymore? Right? Y'all remember in, in, in high school or somewhere studying uh, Italy and, and, and Roman history and studying all the barbarian tribes like the Visigoths and the Goths and all these. And you, where are the Visigoths today? Now, I'm sure you could probably trace them and go, well, they're this people group now. But you know what I'm saying? They're, we don't talk about them anymore. That's what the people are facing. And they would have no hope unless God does something different. So when Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with you, what that is is promising them that even though everything that they know is going to change, there's a future. There's hope. That a day is coming when this new covenant, this new way of God interacting with His people will be in existence and what will happen in that time is they will go, hey, God is still with us. God did not abandon 
us. And that time came in Jesus Christ. It, it was Him. That was when the new covenant came. We see this because, like I said, the Lord's Supper. Every time we read and participate in the Lord's Supper, Jesus is with His disciples, and He says to them, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus wasn't done with His people. Or, excuse me, God wasn't done with His people. They had a future. And if you have a future, what else do you have? You have hope. You have hope. God gives them this, promising them that they have a future and they have a hope. So that when Jesus comes on the scene, and remember we discussed this last week, that part of the old covenant was to direct them so that when Jesus comes onto the scene and, and Jesus, when the fullness of time was right, steps out of heaven onto earth that they would recognize in Christ everything that they had been performing and looking at through the Old Testament covenant. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. I am here now fulfilling Jeremiah 31. Because every promise made about the new covenant is fulfilled by Jesus. And that gives us a future and gives us a hope. The new covenant also promises reconciliation. And this happens on several levels. And the first one that we have to look at, I've got to ask you this question because like I said, we talk about we're new covenant Christians. When you look at verse 31, God says, I will make a new covenant with who? Who does God say He will make a new covenant with? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. He makes the new covenant with His people. Now, we'll get in a minute how we're in the new covenant, because we are, but we need to understand that first and foremost, the promise of the new covenant is to the Jewish people, not to us. I mean, you may be Jewish, I'm not, you know. But in that promise, look at what he says. He says, I will make a promise with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Quick historical reminder. At this point, the nation of Israel is divided. You have Israel in the north, the northern kingdom, and you have Judah in the south, the southern kingdom. And in fact, Israel to the north has already been taken off into captivity. They were taken off into captivity by Assyria in 722 B.C. This is probably about 80 years later. And from the time that the kingdom divided, right at the end of Solomon's reign, again, Solomon's reign ends in 931. This is somewhere around six. 600 that Jeremiah is writing, they've been divided for 300 years. It's not like they were unified for just a little bit, right? I mean, in our lifetimes, we remember the reunification of Germany, right? But even then, when it was West Germany and East Germany, it was only West Germany and East Germany for what? 50 years? Is that right? Somebody check the math and history on that later. wasn't in my notes. Right, so you could kind of understand, okay, in 50 years, you know, they still had people alive on, on one side or the other side of the Berlin Wall. 
Families were divided, so when the wall came down, they could be reunited. We're talking here 300 years where the Israel has done one thing. Remember, all the kings in Israel were wicked. The kings in Judah were a mixed lot. Some were good, some were bad, but they were divided. They didn't really like each other. And God says, look, there's coming a day when I'm going to make a new covenant where, where what I'm really going to do is going to be a national reconciliation that Israel and Judah are going to be, become one again. They're going to be reconciled. No longer will they be two different countries. And so God is going to make that covenant with them. And when He does, the second part of the reconciliation is personal. Because He is making it with the house, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. That's, that's personal relationship language. Because what God is doing is He is reconciling His people back to Himself. Now that's amazing, right? I mean, let's just stop and consider how amazing this is. You go back and you track through their history, right? Let's, let's go back to when, at the end of Judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Give us a king. Remember that? God is saying, and Samuel was saying, if you have a king, bad things are going to happen. We want a king. Okay, here's a king. And, and they get Saul. How'd that end up? Not too well. Then they get David, and David is like, David has the great heights and the great lows, right? And, and, and then they have Solomon, and how did that end up? And it kind of went, eh. And then the kingdom divided. I mean, what you have when you look back through their history to this point is the people of Israel doing everything that they could to really not obey God's law. To say, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're going to set up high places in worship. We're going to set up false places in worship. We're not going to come to the temple. We're not going to obey this law or that law. We're not going to offer this sacrifice. We're not going to celebrate this feast. Basically, God is saying, I want to have a relationship with you, and if you follow these laws, if you trust me and obey them, not keep them perfectly, because the point of the Mosaic Covenant was not perfection, but through your love and obedience, trust me and follow me, I will pour out my blessings to you, and I will just do these wonderful things. And it's like the people go, whatever you do, God, I don't want your blessing. And then God says, you know what? There's a day coming when I'm going to reconcile you back to me. Where you can approach me again. Where you can enjoy the blessings of, of the covenant. I mean, what, what kind of person does that? It's amazing. What happens to us in our human lives as, as, as we live and, and somebody repeatedly keeps doing that? What do we do? We say, fine. Go your way. I'll go mine. It may be painful. We may not like it, but, but we do it. We, we don't come and, and, and try to, to reconcile the situation usually even though that we are called to have a ministry of reconciliation. But here is, here, here is, here is God saying, I'm going to reconcile you back to me. So that when Jesus comes and says, the new covenant is fulfilled, I am fulfilling it in my blood, 
The new covenant is here. Here's the hope. Here's the future. And then later in Romans, Paul writes in 5.10, while we were enemies, we were what? Reconciled back to God by the death of His Son. You know, God is a reconciling God. God wants us to be in relationship with Him. He does not want us to be estranged from Him. And to me, this is one of the most, a great truth. God seeks us, right? I know it's still around and you still hear it and I've always reacted kind of like this to it when people talk about, you know, the seeker movement. We've got to be seeker sensitive for those seeking God. Folks, let's, let's be honest. Left to our own devices, we're not going to seek God. But isn't it glorious and we're shouting and saying hallelujah that God seeks us? That He wants to reconcile us back to Him? That He doesn't leave us alone to our own devices? He does not desire us to be estranged from Him. He did not create us and breathe the breath of life into us and create us in His image so that He would have nothing to do with us. Despite everything that we do that says, I want nothing to do with you. He still pursues us, and He still offers a way to be reconciled back to Him. And for us, and for everyone, because the Old Covenant looked forward to the New, that reconciliation was accomplished through the blood of Christ, through His sacrifice on the cross. And because of His sacrifice on the cross, we have the promise of regeneration. We had the promise of regeneration. When God gave Moses the covenant, the covenant was what? It was written on stone, right? Y'all have all seen Charles and Heston coming down the mountain with the big stone template, uh, tablets. It, 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 was, it was external. But now it, it, it's, it's going to change. He says it will be written on their hearts. It will, it will be placed in their mind. Now, we take this for granted, don't we? we? We again, we just we're so familiar with the new covenant. Well, of course it's written in our hearts. Of course it's it, it, it's it's right there. For Jeremiah and for the people that he is writing, this is this is huge. This this is much bigger than you may realize. How many of you can quote Jeremiah 17:1? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. I couldn't either. All right. This is what he writes. Jeremiah 17:1. The sin of Judah, and, and listen to this imagery, is written with a pen of iron with a point of diamond. That, that, okay, okay. I mean, think about that. I mean, the, some of the hardest elements that you know, iron and a diamond, right? You, you, you go out, and if you want to cut through something really, really hard to cut through, what do you buy? You buy a diamond-tipped uh, drill bit or a diamond-tipped uh, saw blade. So if you got some concrete or you got some rebar or you got something really tough, that that diamond tip will just cut right through it. So here we have Jeremiah talking about a pin of iron with a point of a diamond. It's, it's hard. And with that, he says, it is engraved on the tablet. So, I mean, think of the permanence. Think of what he's trying to convey. Iron pin, diamond tip, engraved. That means it, it, it's dug down in there. If you took a, a 
iron tip drill bit or something and drilled down through there or tried to etch it in something. It, it's, it's in there, right? It means it's not going anywhere. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. What is written, what is engraved on their hearts? Not the law, but their sins. Right? That's why the Bible tells us that from our hearts comes all kinds of stuff that we would rather not think about. That we, would, we, we, that we find ourselves thinking, man, I can't believe I thought of that. I'm a horrible person. That's, that's, that's where sin comes up from. And it's, it's engraved on their hearts. All of a sudden, Jeremiah says, look, hey, you want to hear something amazing? When this new covenant comes, when it is in effect, instead of it being your sin being engraved on your heart, what's going to be engraved on your heart is my law. Is is my word. You know what that is? That's regeneration. That's being transformed And let me ask you something. If your sin is engraved on your heart with an iron pen that is diamond-tipped, who's the only person that can change that? Who's the only person that can bring regeneration? Who's the only one that can bring transformation? God. Only God Himself can do that. And God is saying, I'm going to write my law on your heart. So what happens is, and all of you know this. Every time, one of you, one time, at least once in your life, somebody looked at you, parent, boss, coach, somebody looked at you and said, don't do that. And you thought, huh, I bet I can. I bet I can get away with that. Don't do that, huh? I think I would like to do that. Right? There, there is just there, there's something in the way that we are created. There is a, a, a nature in us that when there is an external law, our first thought usually is, hmm, how close can I get? Well, if he doesn't see me doing 75 in the 65, then I guess it's all right. Right? I mean, let's, let's just, we're, we're that type of people. That, that, that's who we are. There, there, there's that pull. <laughs> To, 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 to break the law. And God says, I'm going to change that. And it's instead, what I'm going to put in your heart is the desire to obey the law, to do what I've called you to do. Right? So as you think about it now, when you go to, to do something as a believer, something Trickles in the, you know, there's a little voice in the back of your head or something going, hmm, are you sure you want to do that? You look at something and all of a sudden your heart goes, maybe I shouldn't be pulled towards that. Why? Where does that come from? Well, we know it doesn't come from the 55 mile an hour posted speed limit sign because we break that every day. 
It comes because God says, I'm going to write on your heart my law so that you just know it. You just, you just know it. And that's a regenerate heart. And the beautiful thing is the reason why that is true is because Jesus comes and he says what? I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. So Jesus fulfills every aspect of the law so that we don't have to. And one of the things that happens when he fulfills the law is the law of God is then written on our hearts so that we know it. Before you ever knew that there was a commandment that said, thou shalt not steal, you knew it was wrong. You knew it was wrong. It gives us a regenerate heart. Titus 3, 4 through 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We were washed and we were regenerated because Christ fulfilled the law. And now we get to reap the benefits of a heart with His law written on it. But then finally, this morning, it promises possession. It promises possession. And it's two-directional. Right? It, it says here that when he comes to make the covenant, he says that they will know me, and he says, I, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We have a claim on God. Because it says so right, right there. It makes it very clear. I will be their God. God lets us call us, call him our God. Right? Jesus says, when you come and you pray, pray what? Our Father, my Father who, who is in heaven. We, we have a claim as his children on him, and we can call him rightfully our God. And at the same time, he says, you're my people. You, you, you belong to me. And that, that flows from the reconciliation, right? Because with that, as it, as it comes and, and we become His people and we confess that He is our God, what it brings to us is a renewal of the presence that we haven't had before. You go back to the garden and you, you read the first two chapters of Genesis and what you look, you see that God is with man and, and man is with God. And, and everything is, is perfect. There's no sin. There, there's, there's no anything. And, and God's presence is there with them. And then sin enters in the world and it, and it breaks that relationship, breaks that presence. But then God, as we've seen, comes and He promises to Abraham, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. He promises to Moses, you'll be my people and I will be your God. He promises that to Ezekiel and He promises it to Zechariah. And he promises it in Hosea, right? That, that, that beautiful story where God tells Hosea, go and, and, and take a woman who is a harlot as your wife and, and have these kids. And you, you look through Hosea and he gives the kids very specific names, communicating a truth to Israel. He says, name one of them Jezreel, which means there, there's destruction that is coming. 
hey, name one of them Lo Rumaha. It means no mercy. I'm not going to have any mercy on you. And then name one of them Lo Amin, which means you are not my people. Right? He says that. You're, you're, you're not my people. It's over. But then you finish the reading the book of Hosea and you get to the end of it. And it's got that great promise. He says, there is coming a time when I will say to, to not my people, because that was the person's name. Can you imagine being in your church? What's your name? Not my people. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that name. Well, who do you belong to? I don't know. I don't know. But there's coming a time where I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. That possession, that possession that God claims on us and that possession that we can make back to God as well. He says, you are my people and I am your God. And we can make that claim because of what Jesus did on the cross. That through the cross of Christ, as He fulfilled the law and reconciles us back to God, we can come and confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we, we become God's. We become His children. And while we take that for granted, we should be amazed by that. Because through Christ, this relationship was made to everybody. Who was the covenant originally made for? Not for me and not for you. It was made to the Jewish people. But there's a great promise when Jesus says, I've come, I have fulfilled it, and now the ability for, for God to look at people who are not Jews to be his people through the sacrifice of Christ, it is amazing. Galatians chapter 3, we touched on this last week, and this is how we'll end this morning. Paul is writing... And he says in verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian when? Until Christ came who fulfilled the law in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, right, you are all sons of God. You all now have the claim to look at God and say, you are my God, and God can look at you and say, you are my people. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We get to be part of the new covenant people and we can walk around and go, I'm a new covenant Christian because of what Christ did. Because of the sacrifice on the cross when he died for us, when he instituted the new covenant, it was part of God's redemptive plan so that everyone could come to God. And so when you read that verse this morning, you realize that there was a time when we were not his people, but through the sacrifice of Christ, now we can say, I'm your person. I'm your people. You are my God. 
and the salvation that is offered. When Jesus says, I am pouring, this is my, my blood that I'm pouring out for the new covenant, that salvation that is offered is offered and made available to every person. There's nobody on this earth now or has ever lived where the promise of salvation, God said, I'm not giving it to you because of who you are. Yes, he dealt specifically and in specific ways with the house of Israel. But even then, under the old covenant, there was a way to be God's people. You could come in as an outsider. You could be that, that God-fearer that they talked about. But now through the new covenant, through the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, we are all in Christ. We are all Abraham's offering, offspring. We are all heirs according to the promise. We can all say, you are my God, and we are your people. That is an incredible promise. That, hopefully, should help us understand just how amazing it is when we say, I'm a New Covenant Christian. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.